be seated and turn to the book of Ruth. We're going to take a little bit of break from Exodus, still a long time ago, but we're going to go to Ruth chapter 1. As I was uh, thinking about Mother's Day and what to share with you, the Lord brought this to mind. And I want to look particularly not so much at Ruth, but a little bit more at Naomi than we uh, normally look at. This is kind of the, the focus that we want to do to think about mothers. And uh, as I've grown older, one of the things that has happened to me is I can say at the age of 60, I understand my mom now better than I did when I was 14 or when I was 10 or when I was 8. In fact, I would say back during those days, I just really didn't get her. Mom was the one that made you do your homework. She was the one that said you can't go out and play. She was the one that said you had to eat your vegetables. She did all of those kind of things. In fact, uh, for a large period of my life, now don't get me wrong, I love my mom and I had a good mother. But to be honest, for most of my life as a child, she was just in the way. Amen? You know what I mean on that? And uh, why can't I? Mom said no. Why can't I? Mom said no. In fact, I think had my parents divorced, I think I would have lived with my dad sooner than with my mom. Uh, mom was kind of the uh, enforcer of a lot of those things. Now, I probably am under a big illusion because I don't think I would have gotten away with anything with dad either. But it seemed like mom was the one that was kind of in my way. Now, at age 60, you know what I can say about it? I get it. I understand what she was doing, and I understand more about the fact that mom was actually more of a person than I ever really thought she was. She was a person. And I think as we look at this passage in the book of Ruth, starting in chapter 1 at verse 6, we'll read just enough to kind of get the, the gist of the story and refresh our memories on that. I think you see a mom as more of a person than just an office or a function or something like that. And if you could give your mom anything today, any gift, I mean, a lot of gifts, a lot of cards, a lot of flowers, a lot of things like that, but there's one thing her heart longs for, I guarantee you, and that is just to be understood as a person, just to be understood. Let's look in Ruth chapter 1, and let's look at verse 6. Uh, Naomi has found herself in a foreign country away from Israel because her husband moved there due to a famine. And she went with him, of course, took their kids with them, had two sons. And uh, while they are there, it's just supposed to be a temporary thing, a sojourn it's called. But it ends up becoming more permanent than they ever intended. In fact, their sons grew and took Moabite wives, which means they intended on living there. And something happened. Her sons died and her husband died. And that's a lot of grief, a lot of things to carry. And so she decides, I'm going back home. I'm going back to Bethlehem. So that's where we pick up in verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people back in Bethlehem by giving them bread. It means the rains came again. Verse 7, Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her 
daughters or two daughters-in-law, go and return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. In other words, she's praying for them. They're young enough to remarry. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I'm too old to have a husband. And if I should uh, say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them until they are grown Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Probably at this point, if you tried to tell Naomi all things work together for good, she would have slapped you, right? If she'd said, if God be for us, who can be against us? She wouldn't receive that very well. It seems as though God has been against her. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept, Again, this is a close family. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods, by the way. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, famous words here, entreat me not to leave you. Or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened that when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? It had been a long time. She had changed. She has had, you know what hardship and stress do to you. Verse 20. But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Naomi, by the way, means sweetness. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And Mara means bitter. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. How do you suppose that made Ruth feel? Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now that's a little statement, the beginning of the barley harvest. Now that's going to end up being a great blessing and leading to a whole chain of events that ends up with Ruth getting married and having a son and changing Naomi's life. But we don't really have a clue about that right now. Right now it seems down and dark and it seems kind of depressing, especially from Naomi's standpoint. And uh, here's a statement I'd like for you to consider. The most loved, the most influential, and yet the most misunderstood person on earth is your mom. I want you to think about that. 
Because that caused me to think about my mom. She's on the screen there. She's been in heaven now for 19 years. Can you imagine? But I thought about uh, her and I thought about a time when we were in Rogers and mom was riding in the car with Sammy and me and we were asking her questions about her childhood and it was hard, hard to get answers out of her. And then she finally said, it's hard for me to talk about my childhood because I don't really have any good memories of being a child. The main thing she said I remember is being hungry, going to bed hungry. And that's kind of the thing that was eye-opening. I've never done that. Never done that. But that's the way she was. That's the way she remembered her childhood. She also, when I was thinking about her, not only her difficult childhood, but she buried two babies. Some of you have done that, been there, done that. You understand what it's like to lose a child. She lost two. One of them I don't remember. I was only two when he was born and died. And then uh, there was a, a sister that I had when I was 11 that was stillborn. And, um, you know, to me as a kid, it was kind of a sad thing and all of that. But I didn't really understand all of that. And uh, I had my life to live and I didn't understand what all she was going through. She told me one time when I asked her about, uh, she said something about miscarriages. And I said, how many did you have? This is after... Um, we were married and Sammy and I were married and she said and I got to thinking about what this must be like some of you understand better than I would she goes I don't know I lost count that's sad isn't it I got to thinking about what it was like for her being a military wife every time we relocated mom had to go with us didn't she and in my world, it was, why do we have to move? Why do I have to leave my friends? And my life for uh, all of my uh, school years was basically either my dad was getting transferred someday or my best friend's dad was getting transferred somewhere. And so there was always sadness and separation, that kind of thing, and moving to places you didn't want to go. Uh, I can remember one of the most traumatic is in the middle of my seventh grade year, not the beginning, in the middle of it. I just turned 13 and we moved from Fort Riley, Kansas to San Francisco, California. What a switch and what a change. I didn't particularly like that, but I wasn't given any kind of choice. And I've, I've told you before, I was in 12 schools from kindergarten until I graduated high school. Uh, that's a lot of change. You know what? It, it really has not been until just the last few years that I thought about the fact that mom had to move too. Mom didn't ask for that. Now dad signed up. This is dad's job. It was his career. But mom was just going along with him. She had no choice in the matter. Think about all the relocation she had to do. She had to leave friends. She had to go and put her kids in new schools that maybe they didn't like. She had to move to a new neighborhood. Maybe there was one set of quarters we lived in she really liked. She moves to another place to something she doesn't really like. She had no say in all of that. And that happened to her over and over and over again. She'd have a church where she had a lot of friends, a good Sunday school class, a pastor that she could relate to. Then we move and we go to a brand new situation. That was her life all of that time, supporting dad and going with dad and raising us while uh, we're going through that as well. And then when I was eight years old, Dad got orders, and the orders were to go to Vietnam. 
And I can remember going and watching him as he got on the plane. You could go down on the tarmac then and waving goodbye to him and him taking off. I remember how I felt. I remember my brother being too little to really understand or know what's going on. I remember getting letters and writing letters. And sometimes we would uh, uh, record letters on a tape recorder and sit them so he could hear our voice and he would send us something back I remember those kind of things I remember seeing protesters on the news and I didn't understand why people were protesting my dad that's the way I took it anyway as an eight-year-old boy and I remember all of that I remember the difficulties in school I remember my third grade teacher Miss Roberts coming up and hugging me at one time and she goes what is going on what happened to that boy that came in here in September and I said something smart Eliki but I, looking back I'm sure it was because of the absence of my dad and just the whole atmosphere of that I can remember those things and I remember when he came home and how excited we were about that but it wasn't until quite a while after that that I thought what must it have been like for mom to kiss him goodbye and not see him again for a year what must it have been like to try to raise two boys without her husband there with her and how difficult that might be and no she wasn't a single mom and it wasn't exactly the same thing but some of you who are single moms can kind of relate to what she must have been feeling and thinking and the fear of getting a telegram the fear of having a chaplain show up at the door or something like that for all of that time for a year that's how mom had to live and then when dad felt like the Lord wanted him to get off of active duty and we moved to Oklahoma. We didn't have any roots in Oklahoma or anything like that. And we moved here during a recession and dad couldn't find a job. And he goes from being an officer in the army to loading trucks at a construction site. He's tired and he's making about two dollars and something an hour that was minimum wage then do you imagine that affected our lifestyle as a family of four as to what we could do and how we lived and what we wore and what we ate and all of that it was drastic and yet during all of that time I'm just gonna make this statement I never understood what mom was feeling now listen carefully because I was never required by her to do so. Mom never poured all of her burdens upon us. We just were allowed to be children. We were allowed to play. We were allowed to think about what we thought about and do what we needed to do. And none of this was all uh, piled up, was ever piled upon us. In fact, it wasn't really until after I was an adult of some age that I even thought about those kind of things. And you know what I think about that? Good job, Mom. She didn't make us have to function under her uh, burden. And she didn't make us have to understand everything that was going on because we weren't capable of understanding it. But boy, do I ever get it now. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I think sometimes today, too many people, they want their children. I want you to feel what I'm going through. I want you to have guilt and burden. And I want you to feel pressure. And I want you to feel stress. Don't do that to your kids. They're not capable of it. But one day they'll understand it. And one thing they'll get it. And so when I read through this story about Naomi, I kind of see a little bit of motherhood in this through the eyes of my mom and even some of you. Because the first thing that I see out of this is just simply hope. What Israeli mother did not get married without a great deal of hope? 
It was through their husband that uh, Naomi said to Ruth and to Orpah, you know, go find rest in the house of your husband. If you had a husband, you had a breadwinner. If you had a husband, you had a protector and a defender, those type of things. It was a rough world for women back then. But when you had a husband, ah, you could rest. You could rest. You think about the hope that she had. She was a part of the tribe of Judah. That was a special tribe. That's the tribe of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way. When you think about being in Bethlehem, it's Bethlehem in Hebrew. It means house of bread. There was some security there, and yes, it was that Bethlehem, the one that later Jesus Christ would be born into. And there she is, and having children. Oh, it was for a Jewish mama, it was uh, an amazing thing when you realize that it was the Lord who gave you children, and that was very, very special. And then they were sons. And every Jewish mama wanted to bear a son. This is a time of great hope. But it didn't take very long before sorrow entered the picture. And in the sorrow, think about this, there's a famine in the land. There's no rain. You can't grow a crop. You can't feed your cattle. It was economic devastation. And it's going from prosperity to poverty in a very short time. The fear, the insecurity, there wasn't any government agency to help out or charitable organizations to help out. I'm sure family, they, all of them in the tribe of Judah were related, and uh, they would help each other as much as they could, but after a while, it took its toll, and nobody had anything to give. To the point to where Elimelech, Naomi's husband, said, let's go to Moab. They can, we can get food there. We can put in a crop there. Oh, Elimelech, why would we want to leave our family and our friends and the land that God has given us through Joshua? Elimelech said, oh, it'll just be for a short while. And so they moved to Moab. And when they get to Moab, they live there long enough for the boys to grow up and for the boys to take Moabite wives. Now how are they ever going to get out of Moab? That's going to be even more difficult. And Elimelech dies. We don't know how he died. We don't know what his age was, but he dies. And all of a sudden, her life just became very insecure, not to mention very sad. And then somehow through this, both of her sons... Both of her sons died. And there she is, a widow, and she is alone. And she finally decides it's time now to go back to Bethlehem and uh, go back there where at least I have family and maybe we'll have some support. You notice thirdly here that she has rejection and loyalty expressed in both of her daughters-in-law. Rejection and loyalty. What do I mean by that? Well, Orpah was weeping over all of this, but once the tears were done, she turned and she left. She went back. She's through with all of that. She saw sense in what Naomi said, and so she left. And the Bible says that Ruth clung to her. And that beautiful speech that Ruth made that so often has been put out into weddings, that really wasn't a wedding story, it was a daughter-in-law committing herself to her mother-in-law. That's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. And I wonder what Naomi was thinking because the, the Bible verse that struck out in this section to me is in verse 18 of chapter 1. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Uh, that sounds real enthusiastic, doesn't it? 
Oh, Ruth, thank you so much for going with me. Oh, I don't know what I would do without you. Nothing like that at all. She just says, okay, if you're not going to be talked out of this, okay, have it your way. I kind of look at that and I go, maybe, maybe Ruth was not the favorite daughter-in-law. You see that? Maybe Orpah was. Maybe Naomi would have been real excited if Orpah had said this instead of Ruth. But when Ruth says it, she just says, well, you're determined. I won't say any more about it. Well, that's an enthusiastic welcome aboard, isn't it? And so this is the way it goes. And she tended to focus, I think, by the reading of the rest of the text. What did she focus on? The rejection. The emptiness. The Lord has testified and put his hand against me. And there she is with Ruth. But she couldn't really see or appreciate that. Have you ever noticed sometimes moms can be like that? Have you ever noticed that it's sometimes easier to focus on what you don't have instead of what you do have? In fact, that goes all the way back to Eve, doesn't it? Standing at the tree, talking to the serpent. She couldn't really see everything she had. It was that one thing that she didn't have. And that's what Naomi is doing now. She's focusing and she's valuing the past. She's valuing what she can no longer have. And she's living in that world. Oh, it's just so empty and terrible. And it was. Don't get me wrong. And it was. But there Ruth is with her expressing all of that. And she can't even really see it or appreciate it. It's a difficult thing. And maybe your mom, the reason that she's like she is, is she has had some things like that in her life and she's having trouble focusing on the positive she sees the negative. Maybe you're a little bit like that as well. That's something certainly to battle. And so then you notice, number four, that there's bitterness that comes from disillusionment. I think if you take anybody, male or female, and you take the dreams and the hopes that they have in life and you begin to remove those things from them or put barriers in front of them, there's a lot of frustration. And eventually that frustration will turn into bitterness, right? And that's what you find Naomi saying once they get back. She goes, is this Naomi? Now, their names had very literal meanings. They were saying, oh, is this sweetness? She says, don't call me sweetness, Naomi, but call me Mara. Remember Mara back in the wilderness when the Israelis were traveling from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. They came to a place where the water was so bitter they couldn't drink it and they called it Mara. She said, don't call me sweetness, Naomi, call me Mara, bitterness. I went out full. I went out full. Did you hear that? And I have come back empty God bless you Ruth I hope Ruth's love language is not words of affirmation because she's not getting her love tank filled in all of this is she I mean listen to all of this but Naomi I don't think it's personal against Ruth I think Naomi is so focused upon her life I mean we've gone from hope the hope of being a member of the tribe of Judah the hope of having a husband Elimelech whose name means my God is king she goes from there to having two sons and then now all of that is gone and she's coming back the 
land that they owned has been setting fallow for years and years and years. The harvest time has come. Well, when the harvest comes, it's too late to plant. There's another season for that. There's no harvest for Naomi on that land. Weeds and growth and who knows what all has happened to it or what kind of shape it's in. How are they going to ever get it back where it's producing again? I mean, there's nothing but emptiness and hopelessness in her life. She doesn't have any grandchildren. There's nobody to carry on her husband's name. Nothing like that at all. Nothing but sadness. This is Naomi. Nothing but bitterness from disillusionment. And so this is kind of the way that I look at my mom and some of you can look at your mom. They start off young and hopeful and idealistic. But by the time they go through life, there are very, very few people who get to realize their dreams. Very few people, even when they do realize their dreams, realize it in the way they thought it would happen. There are bumps and turns and bridges that are out on the pathway there there are mountains to climb and deserts to cross and maybe it didn't happen as soon as you thought it was going to happen and maybe it didn't happen in the way you thought it was going to happen or maybe the dream had to change maybe the dream even died that's where Naomi was and when I think about so many moms that when they first start off, there's hardly anybody. I know there are some exceptions, but there's hardly anybody that says, I'm going to have a child, and they're sad about it. They're usually excited and hopeful. There's something in the heart of, the mo- of a mom that says, this is going to be the child that changes the world. This is going to be a child that is going to fulfill my life. There are all kinds of things like that. Naomi's had all of this robbed from her and then now she's come back to Bethlehem and she's just simply saying God doesn't really love me. God doesn't really care about me. In fact, he has put his hand against me and he has testified against me and I went out full. Life was good when I left, but I've come back empty. What a horrible, horrible way for this to happen. And so when you look at Naomi, you can't help but feel sorry for her and also to feel sorry for Ruth. Look what Ruth is stepping into and look how difficult all of this is. All of this is. But there's going to be a chain of events that takes place in here. Most of you know the story if you don't read on. Because when you get to chapter 4 and verse 15, Ruth is now married. She's married to Boaz. And they even have a son, the son that is going to be the grandfather of King David. They don't know that, but uh, that's the truth. And in verse 15, uh, the women are talking to Naomi and they say, And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. See, in her old age, she felt very dried up. She felt just like she was frail and weak and had nothing. Well, now, now things have changed. A nourisher of your old age, right? For your daughter-in-law, that's Ruth, look at this. Who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons? Has borne him. You know, it's amazing. It took those other people to show Naomi just what she had. 
The Lord has not abandoned you. The Lord has not testified against you. In fact, the Lord has given you a great gift in this daughter-in-law who is now married and you've got a son-in-law who can take care of you and the whole family as they did back in those days. And now you've got a grandchild. There's something about a mama with her grandchild that is very, very special. As guys, we don't quite get it in the same way that they do. But there's something in the heart of a mother about her baby having a baby. I've heard that mentioned a few times around our house. And now there's that restore. She's young again. She's nourished again. She's not all dried up again. She has purpose in her life again. Everything has changed because our God is a God who brings beauty out of ashes. Our God is the God who restores. Now, he may not do it in your life like he did with Naomi. Some of you would love to be a mother, and it's just not the will and the plan of God. It doesn't mean you're second rate or that God is against you. He's just got a different plan. There are some of you that when you think of mothers, you don't think of love and care like I grew up. You think of somebody who was abusive or somebody who was addicted or abandoned you or different things. I understand all of that. But I'm still here to say that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. You've got to hang on to that. You've got to hang on to the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us? And then Paul names a whole lot of things that tend to happen. And yet even in the midst of all of those, God is still for you just like He was with Naomi. She just hadn't lived long enough to see it come to fruition. Sometimes it takes a while. And so I just want to ask you to consider what she's been through and give your mom uh, the gift of understanding. How are we going to do that? First of all, give your mom some time and grace. God's still working on her and sanctifying her and patient with her just like he is with you. The other thing that I would say is consider what she's been through. She's been through a lot of things that are much tougher and much more difficult probably than you even realize just as my own mother. The other thing I would say is be a Ruth, not an Orpah. So it's too easy to unhitch, too easy to get away, too easy just to give up and quit. Be like Ruth was on that. Ruth didn't get a whole lot of positive feedback. She didn't get a lot of encouragement. In fact, the only thing her mother-in-law did when she makes that beautiful speech, Naomi just says, okay, I just won't talk about it anymore. And moving on. Be a Ruth. And then as you can, bless her with the gift of understanding. Put yourself in her shoes. Look at her perspective and ask God to grant you the ability to understand her so you can serve her, so you can minister to her. Now, your mom may be gone like mine is. Is there still relevance in all of this? Yeah, it kind of helps put the pieces together of the puzzle of life where I understand a little bit more about how we were raised. I understand a little bit more about what mom's perspective was. I understand a little bit more about what has made me the way I am. Good and bad. Good and bad. That's important to understand all of it. And uh, to be able to function. Maybe to correct some things. Or maybe to build upon some things that were very, very good. And all of this is done. Can I just say this? Just like in Naomi's life. It's by the grace of God. And my prayer is, whether you're here live or whether you're watching by live stream, you see, there came a point in my life where I had to understand I was a sinner and that, sinner, uh, that sin was going to send me to an eternal hell. 
Now, I felt trapped at that point. Remember that? Trapped. There's nothing I can do to get out of this. And then I realized Jesus had died on the cross for my sins, that he had paid for all of that. He didn't even have to. He chose to do that out of his love for me. And I turned from trusting in myself and trusting in my sins, uh, uh, trusting in my good works or good goodnesses. I saw that it was all uh, tainted by sin. And I remember kneeling down and praying something like this. Uh, Dear Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And because I'm a sinner, I'm going to die and go to hell. And there's no way out except Jesus. And I receive his sacrifice as full payment for my sin. And I surrender to you as Lord. That's not verbatim, but it was something like that. And an amazing thing happened. The burden and the weight of sin was lifted. And I became a child of God by the grace of God. Grace is undeserved favor. Naomi didn't deserve to have her life turned around. And you don't deserve to have your life turned around. And I certainly don't deserve to have my life turned around. But in that instant when I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, everything changed in my life. Now there have been rough patches from then until now, and I'm sure there will be more. But there's also the presence of God, the power of God, and the promises of God to carry you through. And there's no reason for any of us to end up old and bitter and disillusioned and defeated. Not if you believe in the God that I've been preaching to you out of the Bible. Not if you believe in the redemptive grace of God who can change everything. So if you are watching by live stream and you don't know him... Why don't you turn to him and pray a prayer similar to what I prayed? Use your own words, but you understand it. And if you're here this morning in the auditorium and you want to trust Christ, hang around after it's over. I'll be happy to talk to you about it because we serve a mighty God who works all things together for our good. It may take a lifetime, but that's okay. You've got an eternity to praise him for it. And that's all because of God's amazing grace. And as you do that, May God grant you as a mother maybe to understand yourself a little better and as a child of a mother to understand her a little bit better because I know you love her and I know you've been influenced by her. Maybe by the grace of God, now you'll understand her just a little bit better. Let's pray together. Father, it's been good to sing your praises. It's good to pray. It's good to preach your word. It's good to think about the things of God. And it's good to know that you are here with us. And it's good to know that you may be working in the heart of someone now to change them and to make them to where they love and they're influenced and they also maybe understand their mother a little better than they did. But our ultimate prayer is that they would understand you and how you work through moms and how you work through dads, imperfect as they are, to bring us where we need to be for your glory and for you to use us. It's all a part of the plan. So teach us and let us learn and let us grow. Whether we learn from the positive or whether we learn from the negative, let us learn. Let us grow. Let us press on. And may the next generation be able to rise up and call their mom blessed. And we pray that that would continue on for generation after generation in our families and in our church until Jesus comes. And we pray all of this now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you.